Thank you for listening to a message from the Oak Haven Church. The following sermon was recorded during our Sunday morning worship service. We hope that this message will be helpful to you and encourage you to explore the Word of God. And now, this week's message. I would take the first couple weeks of the year off because all these people with these New Year's resolutions filled the pool. You could practically walk across the pool on their backs. It was so crowded. I don't mind sharing a lane, but when you have to start swimming and get swimming in circles, I, I hate that. So, so as is my custom, I uh, you can't tell that I swim, but I've been trying. And uh, but I took I took a couple weeks off over here. Um, I if you were here for my first sermon in October, I I, I stopped going in the morning because it is just too crowded. I go around noon and then have lunch at my desk when I get back. And so when I went on Thursday, I braced myself for there to be extra people in the, uh, in the, uh, in the pool. And do I have a picture of the pool? No? Oh, I, gosh, I didn't. I never loaded it. Oh, well, the, well, the dramatic effect was going to be an empty pool. There was no one in the pool, not a single person. I had it to myself. I'm not sure what that says about the people of Oshkosh or their view of uh, New Year's resolutions, but... Um, but I was happy to be there uh, and, and, uh, and come, come and give it a try. If you want to swim, there's nobody in the pool at noon over there. Um, today, January 12th, is the day that they have calculated after polling 31.5 million people. January 12th is generally the day that people let go of their resolutions. <laughs> so if you, if you haven't let go yet, don't, don't. Stay the, the go try tribe. Um, uh, the study says sticking to resolutions is hard, and we all know there's a lot of talk and pressure in January to getting fitter and being healthier. And the great insight is that a key factor in success is motivation. We're going to talk about that today, but first let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you and praise you for this beautiful winter day. We thank you that we're here and not huddled at home in the midst of a blizzard as was forecast. We thank you for all the, all the joy of being together. We thank you for, for the amazing story of your love for us and your desire for us to walk out our destinies as your children, each one of us, your boy, your girl created in your image. So, Spirit, I call on you to descend upon us. Anoint me with your gift of preaching and teaching. Open all of our hearts to your, to your love, your life, your message, your whisper. You know where each one of us is. You know what each of us needs to hear. And whether that be through my lips or just the nudge we sense from you in this time, we pray that you would move among us and move us closer to you to fulfill your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Of course, our intention for, uh, for New Year's resolutions is, is, is noble. Um, uh, we we want to be healthier. We, we want to be more righteous. I posted on Facebook, uh, St. Louis Cardinals fan, Adam Wainwright is a pitcher for the Cardinals. He's a Christian and is uh, inviting people to do a read through the Bible in a year with him on Twitter. Um, all really good stuff. However, as we're focusing on resolutions and our, be, our, our, our behavior, we're focusing on ourselves. And ultimately, that's as Paul unpacks the law in the book of Romans, it's, that's his fundamental reason for the law ultimately not working. 
Because as you focus on yourself and your behavior, your eyes are not really on God. They're, they're still on yourself. Now, God knows how to give law. Amen? He could have just, Jesus could have come and said, you know what? Here's a new law. Let's do it this way. And, uh, and thank God he didn't. Uh, it's not that, the, not that ethics are out the window by any means. He discusses them. Paul discusses them. But in broad strokes... As far as the New Testament goes, in contrast to the law, we are given the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ that created things from scratch. And Jesus says, follow me. And that, that, that sums it all up. So we keep our eyes on him instead of keeping them on us. It's not the behavior doesn't matter, but our focus is extremely important and we are to have our eyes, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, as the Hebrew writer says. And as we look at him, his compelling love, uh, the, your, your Bible may say uh, the, the love of Christ compels us or urges us on. In, in Greek, it's his love urging, urgently urges us on. So compel is a great way to, uh, to, to, to uh, sum that up. He is compelled by his love for us to die and then be raised. I think we have a compelling image uh, to have up there. Yes, compelled by love. He's compelled by his love to die for us and then be raised. And we in turn are compelled by him and what he has done, by what his love has compelled him to do, which is far more compelling than wanting to modify our behavior wanting to cuss a little less or spend a little less or even, even be more, more biblically literate or any other things. In fact, Jesus removes our behavior from the equation. And he does this by granting us this crazy game-changing amnesty. A general pardon for an offense, in general, any act of forgiveness or absolution. Amnesty is actually what you get before judgment. Pardon is what you get after judgment. So, so we are declared guiltless before the one who has every right to say that we are guilty. We're not, we're not just declared guiltless. We're not just pardoned. He goes further and says we are actually, we are righteous. We are righteous. How is that possible? Verse 21 makes it possible. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The silent partner in that sentence is the gift of the Holy Spirit giving us the righteousness of God, but that only happens after him who knew no sin being made sin for us. God makes Jesus the sinless one. He makes him, he makes him sin. He is sin. Our sin, my sin, your sin, our sin is on him, is him somehow. And then God destroys him. And as he destroys his son, his one and only son. Our sin is destroyed as well. And Jesus takes our, our sins into the grave with him. And this, this is the precipitating event, 
This is the singularity. This is the causality that life hinges on, that all that, matter, all that matters flows from this. It is so powerful, and we, we run the risk of, of treating it as ordinary and commonplace because we have heard the story over and over. And one of the reasons we tell the story over and over is because he's told us to, to, to gather around the table and remember this moment every week for the rest of our lives so that we never forget its significance. It is so powerful. I, ca I cannot wrap my mind or my language around it. Uh, so many others have done it better. Uh, one who's done it best is C.S. Lewis. In his series, The Chronicles of Narnia, specifically as that series kicks off, you really, I, I, I have to urge you to read all, what, six books? You really need to, to read all of them. They've, they've put out, what, three movies so far, and the movies are great, but the, honestly. So uh, I urge you to read them. But the, the first tale is the foundation, and Aslan uh, is Christ, uh, metaphorically. And Aslan is slain by the winter witch upon the stone table of deep magic in a brutal and terrible, uh, I don't know how to, how to say it, but you, you can see just from that snapshot, just the, um, the darkness uh, being articulated as the winter witch who slays Aslan. But then when Aslan comes back to life, that stone table that he's resting on cracks apart in an earthquake, in, in an understanding by Lewis and wanting us all to understand what a drastic shift in reality has happened with the raising of Christ from the dead. And C.S. Lewis is in good company because every single gospel writer has the fancy $5 word for it is theophany. There's something happening in the world that is caused by Jesus' uh, Jesus' death and crucifixion as, as darkness covers the, oath, uh, covers the earth in every gospel, as there are earthquakes that, that, that rattle the dead out of their graves as, graves, as the veil in the temple that separates the presence of God with his people is torn in two from top to bottom. As the, as the, the turning point of all time is, is pointed to in in all nature surrounding that, that event. Powerful new reality ripples from Jesus on the cross, ripples out into, into our lives, ripples from the cross, ripples from the empty tomb. It's not like, you know, I say ripples, and I, I think of like throwing a rock in, in a lake, and you see the ripples. That's, I'm sorry. It's more like an asteroid landing in the Pacific Ocean, and the, the ripples are the tsunami that results and washes and crashes into the continents. It's, it's more like a supernova, a supernova exploding, and, the, and, the, and there's shock waves uh, blasting out into, into neighboring star systems and changing the nature of gravity in the neighborhood. Those are the kinds of ripples I'm talking about, the turning point that redefines everything we take for granted far too much. It's, it's something that is, uh, is pointed to, um, I think, unintentionally, but uh, uh, we really like the movie The Greatest Showman. 
And uh, in that, it's based on Barnum's life, uh, apparently with a big grain of salt, uh, but um, he, uh, he has a, a moment uh, of, of epiphany. Do we have a greatest showman uh, vehicle? Uh, there we go, from now on. Um, he's, um, Barnum has had all this great success, and he's taken his eyes off what's important. His eyes are on the success, the glitz, the glamour, the fame, and uh, he has a, a moment of, of realization. Uh, I thought of playing the scene, but it's in a bar, and they, and they pass steins of, uh, of ale around, and uh, maybe after the game tonight, I don't know. Um, sorry, I won't make that joke again. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the, the turning point is as he realizes that his, um, his focus has been on the wrong things. It has not been on relationships. His focus has been on behavior and not on the people that he loves, his family, and all the misfits that he has brought together and empowered that have made him who he is. He's forgotten about all those that really matter, the people that matter, the relationships that matter. And the, the, it's really stirring as they... as as they begin singing, and we will come back home. And the community is, is reformed uh, after refining and redefining their vision, his vision together. Um, so I, I highly recommend that if you haven't seen it. But, but there's, there's more to it than that uh, because what we're talking about at the core of this actually is relationship, but, but not, not simple not simple human relationship. It's also more than just. It's also more than just than fixing things. You know, we're we're not talking about patching up our lives with a little uh, duct tape and and chewing gum. You know, there's, 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 there's no keeping the old and fixing it, right? Because it's this is not something that can be fixed by better information or better doctrine, or more determination. Everything old has to be done away with, and he has. Everything old has passed away. That's Paul. Paul is trying to tell us in this powerful passage that everything old has passed away, everything is new, and we need to see things through New eyes entirely, not, not new lenses, but new eyes. The eyes come out and new eyes come in. It's a radical transformation. We can no longer, as I put it, subscribe to the flesh channel. I'm not talking about pornography, although that certainly is part of it. We're, we're not looking at things through the worldly lenses we're, or worldly eyes. We're not looking through physical eyes any longer. And Paul uses his, his code word, Sarks for flesh, meaning 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 not that flesh is bad, but there is a uh, there is a tendency. There is a uh, he calls it well the NIV translated sinful desires. That there's a a basic a primalness that uh, that is is done away with. That the way of looking at things that way is gone. That new, those eyeballs are torn out. New eyeballs are put in. But Paul says even we used to see Christ through those, through the, through those fleshy eyes. And, and we can still that, do that too. Uh, we, he, can be, he can just be our ticket to heaven. And 
Believe me, nobody loves John 3.16 more than I do, Royce, and I, I think that is the core and summarizes the gospel more than anything. But if, if, if saving our behinds is kind of all that Jesus is doing in our lives, then, then, then we are missing a lot. And we have missed certainly what Paul is saying in this passage. And, and instead of that focus on myself and my destiny and my eternal pleasure uh, needs to be transformed by this precipitating event level of love that Jesus has for us as he makes us his new creations, as we exchange our being the center of the universe with him being the center of our universe. So our life with Christ consists more than singing of a, singing of a couple songs and putting a check in the basket on Sundays, but instead our identity flows through every moment of our lives from the center of our universe, which is not us. It's him instead. That's when the lost image we talked about all too briefly in Genesis, as we are made in the image of him, as God creates us male and female in his image, that, that when we're back as a new creation with Jesus and his compelling love as the center of our universe, that's when that image starts to work its way back into our lives and how we live, and it's restored. Paul uses those words, from now on. From now on, we see through new creation eyes. From now on, he is the center. And the, the image of eyesight is used over and over because it's so compelling and powerful. I mean, we, we talked about it with our lenses just on how to look at and interpret Scripture. Well, Paul's talking about how to look at and interpret all of life and our relationship with God. And in his story... He, uh, he, talks about, he talks about scales being on his eyes and scales literally falling from them as he comes in contact with Christ. And so that, uh, that image is, uh, is built into his story. Now, this passage is not all about how to get in Christ. It actually assumes that you are. There's another, there are other passages that talk, talk about this is how you get in Christ. This passage is about this is how it is once you're in Christ. When you step into Christ, everything is gone. It's toast. It's past. As Jesus dies for all, what it begins with, one died for all, therefore all died. Here, all this time, we thought Dumas was the genius who put that on the lips of Athos, Porthos, and Aramis, and number four, D'Artagnan, one for all, all for one in the three or four musketeers, depending on which volume. He was stealing from Jesus because one died for all, and as our sin, your sin is gone. You may still feel guilty. You may still be dealing with the consequences. And there are some things that, that God heals in us all our lives, but it's gone. There's nothing you've done that Jesus has not wiped out at the cross. 
There's nothing you've harbored in the depths of your soul that you hope never, no, no one ever finds out about that is not taken away by Jesus on the cross. And what's mind-blowing is that there's nothing you will ever do that is not already taken care of and taken away on the cross. We do not walk through our lives going in and out of Jesus. Oh, I've sinned, so I'm out of Jesus. I'll go to hell if I die. Oh, I've said a prayer. I'm okay. I'll go to heaven if I die. That's not how it works. Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, all the old is gone. All the sin that will ever come is gone. The most powerful word I ever learned in seminary is the Greek word that Jesus says on the cross, even though he's speaking in Aramaic at the time, is tetelestai. Would you say that with me? Tetelestai. It is finished. It is done. It's all gone. He fulfilled his mission. And our sin, he who had no sin, was made our sin. Everything old has passed away. And so that's why, that's why Paul there in, in the first, uh, first verse that we looked at says, see is in there. Seeing. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. He's writing this to people who are a new creation, and he understands they haven't got it yet. They don't understand it. They haven't seen it yet. And so you have to see, we have to see it. And the enemy doesn't want us to. The enemy wants us to, to just care, go on our merry way and, and struggle with our brokenness and kind of give in before we even have a try at things. When instead, this radical power of the Spirit and Jesus is dwelling within us, and we're called to be these radical new creations that are based not on our ethics or our behavior, but on his behavior in giving himself on the cross. So if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. So let's, let's, take, let's take the logic from the if ministry. If that is true. If I am a new creation in Christ, then what? Uh, first of all, this, verse 19. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. I'm sorry, I'm sure he has that wrong. He was supposed to say, in Christ, God was reconciling us to himself. That's not what he says. The world. He's been reconciling the world to himself. The world is reconciled, but, and he's not been counting their trans trespasses against them. But they don't know about it. How will they know about it? He's entrusted the message to us. The reconciliation that the world is waiting for that they don't even know is there in their laps is waiting on us to tell them. We are reconciled in order to become reconcilers. We are saved in order to become savers. 
We are not the ones doing it. It all starts with Christ. It's his power, but he calls us as new creations to not keep it to ourselves, but to be the ones who let the world know what Jesus has already done for them because all of their sin is on him too. It's tetelestai. It's, it's finished. It's done for them too. And so our call is clear and certain. Uh, going back to verse 14. For the love of Christ urges us on. It just compels us, uh, urgently urges us on because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. You may not feel like a new creation, but you are. And you in Christ, you're a new creation. That is more true than how you feel. Reality and truth are not determined by how we feel. Reality and truth are determined by what God has said. And he couldn't have been more clear about this and what he and his son have done to transform us and make each and every one of us a new creation, not only so that we can make it safe to the other side, but that we can be his ambassadors and show the world around us what he looks like by the love in our lives that pours into theirs. Are you convinced? Amen, sister. Live out of your convictions and not out of your feelings. And God only knows what his spirit can do through you, through us, as we step into this year together. May God truly embolden us and help us to see that we are the new creations that his precious love has purchased on the cross and then shouted victory over in his resurrection. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We are in awe of you. We, we, are, we are amazed at what you have done, that, that you were compelled in your love for us to sacrifice so much, to take all of our sin upon you. Lord, we pray for your victory in our struggle with sin. We know that you have already had that victory, and we pray for you to bless us to live that victory out. Lord, we pray against the enemy and his trying to, to <laughs> paralyze us with guilt and shame. Lord, let us claim the truth that you have taken it and, and forgiven us and transformed us and make us new, made us new creations. Let us walk out that truth. Let us be truly your ambassadors, not by our not by our own effort, but by your love flowing through us into others' lives. So we thank you that there's no such thing as a second chance, that there are thousands and millions, and there's no need for other chances because we are already yours. The past is gone, and we are new creations. We praise and adore you and thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Oak Haven Church. We're located at 2175 Witzel Avenue in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. To hear previous podcasts, 
visit our website at oakhavenchurch.net.